This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We're a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. Daniel in the lion's den, which was the last story that we looked at. 
Verse 2, Danny said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first stood like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had a few ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was quite like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its fields were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. I'm not surprised. And the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of this. Okay, so we'll stop there. I think it's no wonder, is it, that Daniel was disturbed after a dream like that? Doesn't sound like a dream, really more of a nightmare, if you ask me. But in the second half of the chapter that we haven't read there, Daniel goes on to pursue the interpretation of the dream, which in summary is that each of those beasts represents a kingdom that will rise to power on the earth. He specifically asks about the fourth beast, um, that appeared the most terrifying, and that this would be a, the most powerful kingdom that would come and devour the earth. The horns are kings that will rule in opposition to God. His people will be oppressed. For a time, but then the Most High God will come, and there will be a judgment day, and in the end, all kingdoms under heaven will be given over to God's people, and His kingdom will be everlasting. So that's the summary of this nice, easy chapter that we're looking at today. <laughs> you know, I bet Daniel didn't have a very good night's sleep that particular night. You know, this chapter is tough, it's intense, it's frightening as we read it. I wonder if we can take any encouragement away from this chapter today. Well, let's give it a go. I think as we read this dream, it's helpful, as we've kind of said already, that this is a kind of prophetic language that, um, that actually does, um, it, this is God revealing um, literal events. And our scholars believe that these are some literal events that are happening throughout um, kind of human history. 
um, as well as having a deeper meaning and symbolism in terms of this pattern that occurs and reoccurs throughout history. So there's a message and a bigger picture message within this passage. As I studied this, um, lots of scholars think that the four um, ancient empires, that there are four ancient empires represented by each of the beasts um, in this dream. The Babylonian Empire, first of all, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, the, the Greek Empire, who some of you know your history, the Greek Empire led by Alexander the Great in 10 short years became one of the biggest ancient um, empires. Um, and then before they were superseded by the Roman Empire, who, as we know, following the time of Jesus, led an intense persecution against the people of God. So lots of scholars think that these are four literal empires that after the time of Daniel rose and fell on the earth um, and think that there's, this is in reference to those. But there's also this pattern that we continue to see throughout human history where there's the rise and the fall of empires. Powers that set themselves up in opposition to God, in opposition to the kingdom of God. In this dream we see four beasts rising out of the sea. And the sea in the Babylonian culture would have been deified, it would have been um, understood to be a god. In the Jewish culture, the sea was something that they feared. And really, the dream, uh, the sea represents kind of chaos, anarchy, and, and demonic power. Um, and so these kingdoms have risen out of the sea, and there's, there's symbolism in that. It's also worth noting that there's a parallel between Daniel chapter 7 here, where we see this, this depiction of four kingdoms, with Daniel chapter 2 as well, where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, also seeing four kingdoms um, that would rise and be superseded. But both dreams showed that ultimately they would be replaced by the kingdom of God, and that that kingdom would endure forever. In the second half of the dream, Daniel sees into the throne room of heaven. I can imagine that part of that was equally terrifying as some of the things that he had seen before that. He sees this imagery of the Ancient of Days, this wise, snowy-haired man, unlike any other in the universe, surrounded by flames of fire. You know, we see this rich, apocalyptic imagery depicting God the Father. And this is the scene of judgment day, that God will one day judge the world as he sets up his kingdom forever. Daniel then sees deeper into the throne room and sees one like a son of man, he describes him. A human-like one coming on the clouds. Throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of clouds often represented the appearing of God. And so we understand now with hindsight reading this that this is Jesus. This is Jesus who will come to set up his everlasting rule and reign. His kingdom, his kingdom will never be destroyed. And so there is hope. There is hope within this terrifying passage. This is a prophecy about Jesus and ultimately ends with a real note of hope. But Daniel remarks even at the end of this chapter that he remains troubled. Even though he has that sense that there will be future victory, the reality is that he's seen the trials and the tribulations that God's people have to go through. For Daniel, the kingdom of God is still far off and in the future. But we know as we've studied the life of Daniel that that didn't stop him living faithfully in the empire that he was a part of. So what can we learn from Daniel in that? How do we live faithfully in the shadow of empire? You know, we live in this time where there's this tension where we're not yet in, in the fullness of the kingdom of God, where we still live in a sense under empire, uh, as we still live in a sense under um, authorities and powers that set themselves up against God. And we need to be faithful to the kingdom of God, to the call of God 
in the midst of that. So I want to talk a little bit today about living in the shadow of empire and what can we draw from Daniel in terms of how to do that and how to do that well. Empire is a major theme of Daniel, the Babylonian Empire, of course, we talk about that all through the book, um, but also in the whole Bible, uh, there's a real theme of empire, from, from Pharaoh in Egypt and the Exodus, right through to, the, um, to King Solomon's, the monarchy of Israel, you know, kings that disobeyed God and set themselves up against God, um, and then we have, of course, the Babylonian Empire, um, followed by the Roman Empire, which is a backdrop, of course, to the New Testament. So there's this consistent pattern of the rise and fall of human power throughout human history. So is this only relevant to this Old Testament ancient culture or to biblical culture? Is this still relevant to us? Do we recognise what empires perhaps are influencing us or what um, kind of powers we're living under? I thought it would be good to just think a little bit around the definition of empire. <laughs> And the dictionary definition says, first of all, it's either an extensive group of states or countries ruled by a single monarch, or it's a large commercial organisation owned or controlled by one person or group. In a spiritual sense, and as I've kind of been studying this, I was reading a little bit of John Mark Comer, and he described empires, and more successful empires, as having four key things. And the first was a strong military, or a militant agenda. The second was a successful economy or large financial backing. The third was that they were very political, so they have a way of organising kind of power structure. And the fourth is an ideology, so a way of thinking and uh, values that they hold that they look to kind of conform and convert people to. Their empires seek to grow, to dominate, and, and can control and conform people to their way of thinking. So it's quite challenging to think about, and maybe I'll leave us to reflect and to think about what perhaps are the empires of our day. You know, is it the West? Is it Britain? Is Britain perhaps an empire in decline? What other things? Is Scotland as a nation? Or what about the internet and social media? Or is there a new kind of empire? What are some of the powers that have influence over us? Maybe the way empires conquer is changing, but it's, there's no doubt that there'll be the same spiritual forces behind these things. Perhaps we can argue that there is both good and bad in empire. I suppose in some ways it depends on our relationship to that particular empire and our points of view. If we look throughout human history, we look at the Roman Empire, some of the biggest technological advances have been introduced by those empires. But the problem comes is when we think differently to that particular empire. That's when it's challenging, and certainly Daniel saw that um, in, throughout his life. So yes, in one sense we're citizens of Britain, but we're also citizens of the Kingdom of God. And we want to be able to celebrate all that is good within our culture, but we also, as people of God, want to be able to point people towards the kingdom of God and the goodness of God. Something that is becoming increasingly more at odds with the kind of empire, if you like, of our day. So what can we do? Do we simply live in fear? Do we move to an island and just try and live our best lives until Jesus comes back? Do we just try and separate ourselves? No, I think God is calling us uh, to, to participate in culture. And I came across this phrase I found so helpful this week called redemptive participation. 
And I think that's such a key for us as followers of Jesus. And I'd love to just unpack that a little bit more. You know, I think that's what we see in the life of Daniel, this redemptive participation. You know, he was part of the culture, he prayed for the culture, he engaged with culture, but he never compromised um, on, on his beliefs. I think God is calling us to engage with our culture and not just to run away and hide from it. You know, I have no doubt that Daniel lives with the words of the prophet Jeremiah at the forefront of his mind. And this, for me, is the key kind of passage of this talk today. In Jeremiah 29, verse 7, it says, To seek the peace and prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The Lord is instructing his people to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. So Jeremiah was a prophet who was sent by God to the people of Israel just before exile. He was sent to them as a warning. He was sent to call them to repentance. And he prophesied that if they didn't repent, then there was going to be an army from the north come and carry them into exile, which of course was the Babylonian army. So this call is, is directly relevant to Daniel and the people of Israel as they're living in exile in Babylon. God is calling them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. You know, isn't it interesting that they weren't told to pray and call down God's judgment on the sinful city, but rather they were told to pray and seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And we see Daniel's faithfulness, we've seen his faithfulness as we've studied all that we've studied to date. You know, we've seen how Daniel faithfully prayed three times a day, non-compromising, he went to the window and just and prayed. You know, I feel so challenged. Are we praying for the city that we're in? You know, how much of our prayer life is devoted to praying for the peace of our cities? I think part of engaging with our culture is also about becoming an intercessor for our city. And let's never forget the power of prayer to bring change into situations. You know, prayer isn't just the nice thing that we do to build our relationship with God, although it is, but prayer is also something that changes history. And God is calling us to be intercessors for our city. Would our city be different because we're here and because we're praying and interceding for it? Would we allow God to stir our hearts for our city and the issues within our city or our communities or our villages or wherever it is that God's put, put us? You know, we'll never get an assignment into the issues of the city if we don't first of all allow our hearts to be stirred and stirred by the compassion of God to the issues and the things going on. You know, we need to let passionate prayer flow out on behalf of our city. So I do feel challenged. And I want to change that. I want to pray more for my city. I want to prayer walk more for my city. For Sterling right here. Um, and I'd love to challenge us to do that. And we can do that together as we just go out and just look to hear the heart of God. You know, we're a new church plant here in Sterling. And we survived COVID and we're still here. And that's great. But I know that God is stirring our hearts now to, okay, but now what? What are we going to do to serve and make a difference in the city that he's placed us? And so I'm passionately praying that God will show us as individuals and as a church what is the call that he has for us to the city of Sterling and to all the communities and villages and places that he's placed us. And it doesn't need to be big. It, often it can start small and just see what God is placing on our hearts. And so I'd love to invite us to go on a journey as we pray for our city and begin to hear what are the areas that God is calling us to serve in.
Who are we praying to bless our leaders and those in authority? Are we praying to bless our local council, councillors, our government ministers, regardless of our view of politics? You know, these are the people that are in authority of our of Sarah of our nation. You know, are we praying regularly for them? Our first minister, I think we're at a significant time right now, aren't we? And I think it's so key for us to be praying um, to be praying over the appointment of our next first minister, our prime minister. In 1st Timothy 2, I'm sure we're familiar with it, it says that I urge then for petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. And it goes on to say this is good and pleases the Lord. Let's regularly be set in time aside as a church and in our own prayer lives to pray for our city, to pray for our leaders and to hear God's heart. Secondly, in that passage in Jeremiah that we're to seek the peace of our city. In the challenge this morning, are we bringers of peace or are we bringers of conflict? Does conflict just seem to follow us wherever we go or are we bringers of peace? Or conversely, sometimes if we were to see conflict, do we just turn and walk away? You know, we want to bring the wisdom of God to mediate into situations of conflict, perhaps in our workplaces, in our communities. You know, would we be known as the people of God for us to be carriers of peace, bringers of peace into situations as we ultimately look to, look to point people to the Prince of Peace? You know, we're living in a time where so many people desperately need peace. And, and I'd love to just pray over us that, that as we engage with our city, as we engage with our communities, that we would be carriers of peace, peace bringers. And then thirdly, praying for prosperity. Now, I believe a city becomes prosperous as it adopts the values of the kingdom of God. You know, God holds the wisdom and the answers for so many of the issues within society today. I think our culture is desperately lacking wisdom. Daniel was a wise man. Daniel brought the wisdom of heaven into the situation that he was working in. He started as being a simple servant of the king in the king's court, and he ended life as one of the most powerful men in Babylon. You know, Daniel outlived the kings in Babylon. He was a consistent part of, 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 uh, uh, of at work in Babylon. And as we look at our world, in some senses, in the private sphere, people's lives are falling apart as they move further and further away from the teaching of God. And increasingly, we see people struggling to parent or discipline their children. We see people struggling to stay in relationships and marriages, struggling to do community well, to live well with one another, struggling how to manage money, you know, increasing levels of debt we're seeing in society. You know, there's so many things that actually I think the wisdom of God has the answer to. And God is looking for his people to bring that wisdom and to be able to share with our city, with our communities. As Daniel was faithful, God opened the doors of influence for him. And I'm so reminded of the parable of the talents, and we see this as, as, as we're steward well what's been given to us, as we're faithful, then God, leads, God increases it. And one of the verses I was struck by when I read Daniel 7, verse 27, it says, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. It's really interesting. For we handed over to the holy people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. 
Now God wants to teach and train us to become the kind of man or woman who can steward power. Because actually our inheritance we see in the Bible is that one day we will rule and reign with him. And so we're in a period of training. But God wants to teach us how to handle authority, responsibility, power in a way that doesn't become a beast, as it were. How do we carry power and authority in a way that is submitted to Christ? So we're in training. And I think that redemptive participation is about engaging and seeking the redemption of our cities to play our part, to see God's kingdom and reign established. To be co-workers with God and to represent him right where he's put us. In a world that's conformed to the powers and the empires of the day, we want to see kingdom transformation right where we are, right where we are. And we all have a part to play. Everyone gets to play, as we like to say, in the vineyard. And so I just want to leave us with a question this morning. How are we going to be faithful to that call? As we spoke about faithful living, how are we going to be faithful to that call to bring, to, to redemptively participate in welcoming the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. In fact, why don't we stand as we pray together? Thanks for listening to the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.